0: You know, we as photographers, we go and take pictures, and we capture, and we shoot, and I always class photographs as gifts, so I don't go and take photographs, I receive photographs.
1: That is one of the many thought-provoking quotes from my guest this week, Paul Sanders. Hi, and welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. My name's Graham Dargy, I'm a professional photographer from Aberdeen in Scotland, and I'll be your host for this, the first episode of the third season of the show. My guest today is the amazing Paul Sanders and we have a really important conversation about landscape photography, mental health and many other things and I'm so grateful to have Paul on the show today. Well, it's been a while since the last episode so let's have a wee catch up. I don't know how things are in your corner of the world but in terms of the pandemic here in Scotland things aren't too bad right now Uh, so we're able to get out and about a bit more and that's just such a relief after the last year or so especially for my daughter who's just five so she's able to see friends and start some activities and that's just really great seeing her having things to do and to be able to flourish in that way. Photography wise I've had a few things on, I uh, shot some headshots last week which I always really enjoy and uh, I did a really small commercial photography job the other day. Um, landscape wise I've been exploring my local area and I discovered an amazing location about a kilometre from my house which is just a spectacular piece of coastline with cliffs and waterfalls dropping off the cliff into the sea. Um, It's amazing and most people in my city don't even know this is there. So I'm looking forward to getting back there, getting to know that area a lot better in the next few months. So that's what's been going on with me. How about you? How's your photography going? I'd love to find out. You can connect with me on Instagram at viewfinderspodcast and check out the brand new viewfinders website, viewfinderslive.com, where you can find out everything relating to the podcast, including previous episodes and news about upcoming live events. Speaking of live events, segue. A few weeks ago, I hosted an evening with Jim Richardson, an online event with the National Geographic veteran photojournalist, And i had been mentioning this on the podcast for a few weeks, so I did want to circle back and let you know it went really, really well. Um, We had people tune in from all over the UK, all over the USA, Canada, around Europe and even Australia, which is so amazing to me that people are are, are pulling in all around the world to this event. Um, Jim's presentation was brilliant and he's such a charismatic guy. He just had everyone in the palm of his hands. His photography is incredible and the whole thing just went really, really fast. We had lots of good feedback. Thanks again to Jim and MPB for sponsoring the event and especially thanks to everyone who came along and just made it such a fun and memorable night. Um, these events have been so popular and so much fun to do, so I've decided to do another one. Viewfinders Live Food Photography with Donna Kraus, sponsored by MPB, is coming up on Sunday, the 13th of June, 2021 at 7.30 p.m. on Zoom. Donna Krause is a Nikon ambassador, a Rotolite master of light and one of the most sought after food photographers in the UK. Donna was my guest way back in season one and she made a big impression on me. She's such a smart and creative lady who's become one of the best at what she does in a really, really short time. So join us on Zoom as Donna takes us through how she creates her fantastic images from styling, camera settings, lighting and more. If you're into food photography, still life photography, studio photography, lighting or if you just want to expand your photography knowledge and hang out with one of the best photographers in the UK, then don't miss this event. So it's Sunday the 13th of June 2021, 7.30pm on Zoom. Tickets are available at the Viewfinders website. That's viewfinderslive.com. Link in the show notes. Don't miss it. Okay. One more thing uh, before we get going, MPB have been sponsoring my Viewfinders Live events and I'm really happy to say that they'll be sponsoring this season of the podcast. Trading your unused camera gear to MPB is a great way to offload equipment you're not using and get something you will use without spending an absolute fortune. So thanks again to MPB for sponsoring the show. Go check out their website and follow them on Instagram. Links are in the show notes. Okay, onto this week's guest, Paul Sanders is a landscape photographer based in Kent, England. Paul is a former picture editor for the Times newspaper, a job that engulfed his life and in his words caused him to lose touch with reality. When the demands of the job forced him to step away, Paul looked to landscape photography to help rediscover a balance in his life and now he specializes in mindful landscape photography, an approach that emphasizes slowing down and focusing on the process of creating the photograph rather than on the photograph itself. This approach has resonated with a lot of people and Paul now runs mindful photography workshops and retreats for his own Discover Still brand and also for leading photography workshop company Ocean Capture. Our conversation delves into Paul's backstory at the Times which really gives context for the landscape work he's doing now. One can't be separated from the other. Uh, We also talk about his approach to his work, imposter syndrome, shooting in a square format and many, many other things. I really enjoyed talking with Paul. I appreciate his openness and vulnerability in our conversation. If you're interested in landscape photography, mental health, mindfulness, then there's something in this episode for you. Hope you enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Paul Sanders. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm good thank you very much Graham it's a a pleasure to be asked to be on it thank you
1: well I was really really excited to talk to you because not only are you a great landscape photographer uh, you've got these wonderful still lives which I really like and I had to google if it's still lives or still lives or what but it's still lives I know that now Um, and you've got some experience with podcasting obviously and I was curious about your backstory with the times and so on And also uh, through your work you talk a lot about uh, mental health which I think is so important for all of us right now. Um, So I'm really interested to talk to you on a number of levels. So, uh, But I always like to start at the beginning. Um, Well before I get to the beginning how about I ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your photography.
0: Um, Well I mean I've been a professional photographer since out of school so uh, I mean now I I mainly shoot um, in a sort of black and white square usually landscape or still life um but with a sort of mindfulness uh approach i I don't view my work as very commercial um i just photograph things that i enjoy looking at um which is probably not the best business model but for workshops it it works quite well so I, i lead a number of workshops um for ocean capture um with Jonathan Critchley and um, it's great to be part of that team and um, I do my own sort of little retreats and things um, and, and that all sort of pays the bills for me to photograph what I want to photograph mm-hmm. um, because I don't want to photograph things for other people I enjoy photographing myself I find the pressure of photographing for others too too much and I usually I usually fluffy. I think it comes from a long time working in the news industry, where you're you're under pressure to shoot to a brief, to shoot to a shape, shoot to a deadline.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: now I just don't need that. Um, mm-hmm. I like the freedom of of working for myself and photographing myself. And people say, "Oh, you're freelance," and it's like, "Well, actually, I'm not a freelance because I don't." Do anything for anybody else. I just <laughs> I, I, I do the workshops, but I don't I don't photograph for anybody other than myself. Um, and that's a very freeing way of approaching it. And people always think when you say that that you've got loads of cash, but I haven't. It's not like I've got a, you know a big bankroll behind me or anything like that. Um, I just took a decision to uh, to focus on the things that were really important to me creatively. And stick mm-hmm. to that rather than trying to cover too many bases.
1: So I was curious. You, you said that you were a profession or a photographer since you left school. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so when was? Do you remember when was the first time you picked up a camera and realized that this might be for you?
0: Yes, I I, I can remember the exact moment actually because my um, my mum and dad um, had been arguing. Um, And don't get me wrong, I have had a very happy childhood, but my parents had been arguing about my dad buying a camera, Um, and he'd been going on and on and on about it for such a long time. And it was, at the time, it was quite expensive. We we weren't a wealthy family, Um, and eventually my mum relented and let him buy this Practico MTL-3. And i was fascinated by it I, when they went to the supermarket on a saturday morning i would go and get it out of the the box in my dad's mm. wardrobe because he rarely he actually rarely used it <laughs> uh, all this all his fuss and the camera lived in the in the wardrobe in its box and wasn't to be touched by anybody other than my dad um and I remember just sort of one day thinking, Joe, I just he's told me I can't do this, he's told me I can't do that. So I thought, I'm gonna go and get it and just and I just went out into the garden with it and loved the experience of just turning the lens and watching the image come into focus or watching the zone Mm -hmm. of focus change and releasing the shutter and the, the the lovely mechanical click and then the wind of the film with the tension, and I just thought, "Oh my goodness, this is, this is something else." And I didn't know anybody who was a photographer, uh, and I, I just thought, "Oh my goodness, I could do this." And, and I mean, bearing in mind, I was taking out of focus pictures of plants and bees and the dog and all sorts. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was absolute random rubbish. And I, there <laughs> was me at the age of fourteen thinking, "I can do this." Mm-hmm. um with no idea what being a photographer involved and i remember my teacher at school saying well to be a photographer you need physics you need chemistry you need maths you need english you need geography and i thought mm-hmm. that's great they're all the things that i'm really bad at <laughs> you know, no mention of art or a creative eye or understanding of aesthetic or anything like that mm-hmm. um And when I spoke to the careers advisor at school, she said, look, you know, you're just not going to cut it. You're not competitive enough. You know, it's, you're not connected. And I thought, God, who are you to tell me I can't do it? Hmm. What? You know, you're supposed to be encouraging me to to chase my dream. And I went home that night and I said to mum and dad, I said, look, I've decided I'm going to be a photographer. And my mum mm-hmm. looked at me with her mouth open and my dad was instantly like, oh no, 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 stop getting you. Here. I said, it's what I really want to do. It will really make me happy. Um, and amazingly, they supported me. They knew nothing about photography, um, you know, but they, they absolutely supported this kind of wild dream that I had and, um, you know, and all I knew of photography at that point was what I read in Amateur Photographer, and it was okay. all glamour and girls and a cool lifestyle. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to be leaving school. That's going to be going to be great. <laughs> um, and when I left school, I went very briefly to college uh, because I failed a few of my um, uh, my O levels. Um, And I thought I'll take photography O level because that might be an option. I took it and I got a D, which is pretty much a fail anyway. Mm. Um, And I just thought I don't need education; I need experience. And I got Mm -hmm. work as a photographer's assistant after going into a few dark rooms and doing, uh, you know, doing processing and mainly printing. And then I got a bit of work as a photographer's assistant. And then the next thing. We were working in Spain, and I was shooting glamour calendars. When I was eighteen, and right. um, you know, in the eighties, that was a very cool job. Yeah, um, it was hard work, but it was it it was more fun than hard work, and I loved it. Um, it was everything I'd ever hoped it would be.
1: Yeah, that's just quite an interesting. I was. I, I want to continue with your timeline, but I was. I I, I noticed when you said that there was uh, the careers advisor told you you wouldn't cut it and so on. And um, I had a bad meeting with a careers advisor around the same age, I'm sure. And I wasn't interested in photography, but I definitely left that room in tears. And um, I don't know how much that drives you, if it is still a factor in you, that kind of I'm going to show you or, or, or what anything that roots back to that. Do you think there's anything that goes all the way back there?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, 100%. I suffer massively with imposter syndrome. And I've, I've always felt that I'm not good enough. Um, or that one day people will wake up and realize that I am just a bloke who can talk a good game. Um, or have somehow snuck into the party without an invite. Uh, and I'm about to just get ejected. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, that's been a massive fear for me um, through through my entire career. I, I've always felt that I was this unwanted guest at a party. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it haunts me. You know, and that's a difficult thing to, to deal with. But that has also pushed me on and on and on. And I think the need to prove that I'm good enough, at, at some point it's been healthy. It's also been very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think um, the the way we're conditioned from an early age to to be something, to fit a mould, to have our future mapped out at the age of 16, Mm -hmm. I, I personally think it's really wrong. And it's really damaging because if you're told at that age, when well, you're really impressionable, that you aren't competitive enough, you aren't clever enough, you aren't good enough, that that sticks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you know, you know, when I when I was offered the job at, at the Times, I couldn't I couldn't quite believe it. And when I was given the job as picture editor, I did ask the editor who, if he was sure he wanted me. Uh, and he said, well, <laughs> of course I do. wouldn't have offered mm-hmm. it you if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, but you're sure it's me. Uh, and even when I worked, uh, I got a call from Charlie at uh, Light and Land to uh, to lead some workshops with them. And I, I said, Charlie, have you phoned the right Paul? You know, and, mm-hmm. and this was seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's still, that imposter syndrome is still there. Mm-hmm. And it does go all the way back to my childhood. Mm-hmm. um so i i think those scars are, are are deep and last longer
1: so it's not that isn't completely stopping you though so there's what is it that enables you to continue when you have those self-doubt kind of moments <sighs>
0: it's it's my love of making photographs the only reason i'm a photographer is because i love making photographs i am absolutely in awe of the world around me um i look at it every day with complete captivation and wonder even on my darkest days um you know and i've made no secret about the fact i struggle with my mental health Um even on my bad days i'm able to see a little bit of beauty in something and, and it might just be the way the shadows fall on the wall at the house or um you know the, the way the sun comes through a tree, or perhaps it's a flower that appears in a garden, or just something tiny, and and I, I, I'm just able to hold on to those little bits, and um, you know, in terms of you know, people say, you know, are you a successful photographer? Are you is are you a good photographer? Are you a successful photographer? Well, I I don't know whether the you know. I, would, I certainly would class myself as a good photographer. Am I successful? I'm a happy photographer. And if, if success is measured in happiness, then yes, I'm very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's measured in Facebook and um, Instagram likes, then actually I'm not doing very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there's so much more to life. And one of the, the things I realized was I... I sh- I gave up so much to reach the Times, and mm-hmm. that was where I wanted to work as a news photographer. When I eventually got into news, and uh, you know, I started in news in what nineteen ninety one, and by two thousand and two, I was working at the Times. Two thousand and four, I was picture editor, and and that's a very fast career trajectory. Um.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I fought tooth and nail to get there. I was never the best news photographer, but I understood the reason that I was mm-hmm. at an event. I knew the why I was photographing, and I would always research the why. It, it, you know, it's it's great if you can take a beautiful image, but if it doesn't touch the why we're there, it's just a beautiful mm-hmm. picture and it's pointless. So you've got mm-hmm. you've got to understand why you're photographing. And that still holds true for me today. You know, why am I photographing? I am photographing now because I love what I am seeing. And mm-hmm. um, then I was photographing because there was a story that needed telling in a certain way. And I think the, the why keeps me, just keeps me going. You know? um, mm-hmm. So I would say now I'm a very happy photographer. Um, and, and people often say, you know, do you feel like a failure for leaving such a prestigious position? And actually I, I feel more successful because I left before I got really young and it would have been, you know, a foolish thing because that job, defi- I let that job define me. I, I, you know, I was a news photographer. I was picture editor at times. Um, you know, it cost me my health. It cost me my marriage. Uh, it cost me relationships with friends, um, and I, I was completely. I When I left I had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. I was amazed the paper came out the day after I left, <laughs> and that's that's how kind of deeply I was into it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, was it was it the hours or the pressure or how was it that it took so much from you? Uh
0: because of the imposter syndrome, I give. A lot i set unrealistic precedents of myself um there there's a lot of pr- in that job there's a lot of pressure there you know there, there's pressure to get the right pictures there's pressure to have your photographers in the right place uh there's budgetary pressure the staffing pressures um it, every day is is a battle you know you want certain pictures used the the designers or the, the subs who put the pages together um, you know, want to use a different picture, or all of a sudden the page order changes and you can't use a picture. You know, every day was it was fighting tooth and nail. The hours were were long, not unusually long for newspapers. I mean, I've worked longer hours as an agency photographer, um, but there's a sort of there's a you know there's sort of internal office politics and all the rest of it. Um, and I, I, ha- I was very unfortunate that um, I lost one of my photographers while on assignment um, for me, and that you know that hit me really hard um, mm-hmm. because I'd always taken my responsibility of the safety of the photographers uh, mm-hmm. that worked for me and with me um, very very seriously, and this one was completely out of my completely out of my control, and um, that hit me quite hard, and it. I didn't really recover from that. Um, and at the same time, my marriage was falling apart. So when you've got a stressful job, but you've got a happy home, you can offset the stress. And if mm-hmm. you've got a stressful marriage, but a happy job, you can offset the stress that way. Mm-hmm. I I was lost in both. And mm-hmm. gradually, I, I literally just fell apart because I was so... Um, I was so insecure in my own self. Um, I was um, bits of my life were falling apart. The stuffing was coming out. I I was pushing myself harder and harder and harder, and um, you know to do more, to be more, to to cover more, to get the best of this, and um, and I knew it was unsustainable. Um, mm. You know I was. Uh, eating really bad. I mean, I cycled to work every day, 26 miles in and 26 miles home. Um, I'd work a sort of, on average, a sort of 14-hour day. Um, I lived on Kit Kat, Skittles, um, coffee, and then at home lots of red wine. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I wasn't sleeping. I had, if I had a good night's sleep, I'd probably get three hours. Um, Hmm. I was up all night stressing about what was happening. Um, You know, what was happening at work? What I put on the front page? Were we beaten the day before? You know, it was just... It was a cum- an accumulation of things that were driven by my own insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and gradually, it just... It got the better of me until I... I, I couldn't go into the office. Um, you know, I literally broke down in tears in Starbucks not far from the office. I couldn't get to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... It was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to, you know, literally thought I was going to die. Um, I managed to get a text to a friend who came and, and mm-hmm. sorted me out. Um, and then, I, you know, I was signed off. And it was in the signing off uh, from work that I, I just suddenly realised that I had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was sort of looking objectively at my life thinking, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like. I don't know who the person I'm married to is anymore. She didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't because we argued. I just committed so much to work that I was never at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So her life had gone in one direction and then I'd gone in the other. And there was this massive gulf that was... Uh, she couldn't understand the stuff I was going through and I couldn't explain it. Uh, and it's all just... It literally... I watch my life fall apart in slow motion, mm-hmm. um, and I just that the only thing I can do is is leave the job and all the kudos and the big salary and all the rest of it. And I thought, but well, you've worked so hard. So is it is it failing to leave it? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it's kind of like getting to the top of the mountain and getting you know, there. You think it's not really the top. There is no top. Mm-hmm. I think it was a little bit like New Year's Eve when the clock ticks over to, to midnight and the bombs go off on Big Ben. You expect to feel differently because it's mm-hmm. New Year and actually you don't. Mm-hmm. And and I, I just got lost in that I don't feel like I'm doing anything worthwhile. You, know, you, you go home at night from working in a newspaper and you'll see people reading the paper on the train if, you know, or in the station, and the next day you see it in the bin.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And every day you're working yourself, you know, in a frenzy for it to be thrown away. And mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, that's, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I need something, there's something more real. And I'd lost touch with reality.
1: Yeah, and so from there, did you take some time out before you... Went into the landscape photography, or what kind of segue happened there?
0: <laughs> well, I once want, I wanted to stay in photography, and and I had I bought a a, a book by Joe Cornish called First Light, um, and Joe is a photographer that I kind of admired, and he'd had some pictures in the Times in um, one of the weekend sections and I loved his work and I bought the book and I just thought actually that it looks really easy. It does look, you know, how far wrong can you go standing at the coast, watching the sea, taking a picture? Um, and I did the thing that a lot of people do is I, I, I read the book and then I read what he used and I thought well I'll buy the same kit and then I'll take the same photos and actually in doing that I realised one well, that... That left me feeling as empty and as worthless as mm-hmm. working, you know, for a national newspaper
2: mm-hmm.
0: because the pictures weren't a reflection of me. Um, mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that. And it was only through the help of uh, uh, therapists and counselors that I was able to get to a point where I understood that. I was trying always to please others, to be something that people approved of. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't being true to myself or showing myself. I wasn't mm-hmm. revealing really anything. And even during counseling, I didn't tell the, the counselor what um, I was feeling. I used to try and tell her what she wanted, what I thought she wanted to hear. And it was only when she started showing me my photographs and asking me to talk through the photograph talk about the why i photographed not the how
2: mm-hmm.
0: that we made any headway um and then it was real i realized that the pictures that i was really connected with weren't the ones that people liked they were the ones that resonated with me they were the ones that things had just said photographed me
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it took me a long time from that point to the last couple of years to really understand what was driving me and what was making me um, engage with those with those subjects because I still have this desire to be, um, in inverted commas, a successful landscape photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, landscape photography isn't a genre that people buy. You know, you, you don't mm-hmm. sell that many prints as a photographer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're sort of, you know, Charlie Waite or David Nolan or Joe Cornish or Jonathan Critchley and you know, they're the people who sell big prints because they've been in the game for a long time and I'm you know a newcomer, um still and I thought the only way I'm going to make this work is to just photograph the things that work for me and then when people ask me about it, ask me why I photograph and what I photograph, be honest, you know so that's what I decided to do is just be really honest um really straightforward in everything. Um, You know, so if I understand something, I'll say, this is how I do it. And if it's a bit of a job I don't understand, I always say, go and talk to such and such because they're better at it than I am. They understand it.
1: Okay, so at this point now, is is there a sort of coming together of you finding your own images to shoot and um, a sort of um, uh, healing, if you like?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, photography is... It really is very much a meditation. It's very much a time of of healing and a time of calm. I mean, I you know, my my average day is quite busy, um, you know, with online workshops and planning and things like that. So when I go out, I don't go with the intention of making a photograph. I go with the intention of just seeing what's around, um, and that sometimes leads to. A sort of photograph being discovered or you know I, I always class photo- photographs as gifts so I don't go and take photographs I receive photographs mm-hmm. which sounds a bit strange to some people because you know we as photographers we go and take pictures and we capture and we shoot and you know but I, I look at it as a, a collaboration so if I'm in a, a state of what I call open awareness um, I can spend ages just looking at the way light flickers on the sea or you know studying a, a fence or reflections in water i just enjoy that without sort of going okay i'm going to this location i'm going to make this picture because as soon as i get attached to a certain type of photograph there's disappointment involved because the circumstances don't you know well, i wouldn't say don't ever but they rarely Match what I've got an attachment to. So, mm-hmm. you know, like the other night I went out with an idea to photograph some bits of London, um, that I'd seen. And I thought, actually, that'd be quite a nice little thing to look at. And I went and there was scaffolding and all sorts of, you know, and I, I, and I just thought, oh my goodness, you got so attached to this idea of this one picture mm-hmm. that I then couldn't see. Another opportunity to photograph in that location. I was so mm. wedded to that one thing, I was completely closed to any other opportunity. And for me, the the mindful side of photography is that you go perhaps with an inkling of an idea, but you you see whether that's going to work. And if it doesn't, you go, okay, that's fine. What else is here? What's here now? Mm. Um, and then it's like this this thing that photographers say about you know, oh, I'll wait for the good light um, you know this, this location's not good enough it's all judgement
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and actually it's not a judgement on the landscape it's a judgement on ourselves you know, because it's just saying I am not enough to make a picture in this without the conditions being perfect, whatever mm-hmm. perfect is mm-hmm. because as a photographer, as an artist, as a writer, as any kind of creator, you need to be able to go into a situation and make the best of of what you're given at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can revisit, but it's always going to be different. So I don't believe in good light or bad light. Uh, I just believe in different light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a big difference in the way you respond to that. Because if you say something is bad, instantly your your whole mindset closes off. Mm-hmm. Oh, the light is bad, therefore I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, this location isn't good enough. Uh, oh, I can't shoot anything. There's nothing to photograph, there's nothing to see. If you go, okay, well, it's different today. What What's here? And then if you give yourself the time rather than rushing around you know with your hair on fire trying to take as many photographs as possible if you allow yourself the time to just sit or walk without holding the camera in your hand mm-hmm. and getting so obsessed with the kit that it gets in the way it becomes a block you can um, you start to see things you know you start to to free yourself up it's it's a bit like, You know, having an open, an open channel, you, you suddenly think, well, actually that might work. But what happens then normally is if it hasn't been photographed before or doesn't fit a given set of criteria that perhaps you might have at a camera club or for competition, or, you know, you've read in magazines that you shouldn't take photographs like this, Mm -hmm. people then shy away because they worry about the judgment of their peers. And if you, you know, if you like something, then you should just photograph it, regardless of what other people will think. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things whether anybody likes your work or nobody. The only person that has to connect with it originally is the photographer. That's you and me. You know, I'm the person who presses the button, so it's up to me whether I like it. Um and that's not an excuse for poor photography um, in terms of ability or just going, oh, do you know what? This will do. You still make the best of what you're given. You still give your best and therefore you receive the best from your subject.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
0: It's a bit like taking a portrait and going, oh yeah, you'll do. That's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> you know, the more you give of yourself in that relationship, the more you get from it. And for me... Uh, landscape photography the still lives they're relationships I have a relationship with my subject and it sounds odd uh, especially when you say it out loud to (laughs) you know to people but it is a relationship
1: Um, I really liked what you said about not good bad light but different light that must be very freeing to have that approach where because as as you said, I'm just as I'm saying it out loud. I'm just repeating what you said. But having those um, uh, assumptions it closes things off. So you would be able to go for a walk with no preconceived ideas about what you're going to shoot. I wouldn't be able to do that. I would really struggle with that. I'm like a smash and grab photographer. I go with an idea, and I and I I want to get it. But if it's not happening, I'm I'm not. It's not hard for me to let it go and look for something else. But I do need to have something that I'm going with if I'm just going for a walk I, I well I think it's my because I'm a commercial photographer there's always a brief and you always have to cough something up and yeah. there's no excuses you know um, so I think that mentality stays with me so yeah for for me I I like to go knowing what I'm trying to get and I'm, I'm not wedded to it but I, I like to either get it or say okay it's not happening and then it's gone either either way the way it's gone going out without it, it it's I can see it's freeing, but to me, it's a bit intimidating. Is that um, a, a line you've had to walk at all?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy because you you go. There are places that you go to that are so well photographed, um, and you can't help but be drawn to to that. But I I don't Google image search anything anymore. Um, you know, I look at I look at Instagram, but I don't look at it as a view to finding other fo- finding places to photograph.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Most of the pictures I take are around home now or near home. Uh, certainly, over the last year or so, you know, I I I don't travel um, to places to photograph because I've always been disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to familiarize myself with places by. By visiting them a lot and understanding the the nuances, mm-hmm. um, but going to photograph something puts pressure on me. And I, mm-hmm. you know, working as a news photographer, and I completely understand where you're where you're coming from. You were expected to come back with something. Mm-hmm. You had to come back with something. You had to have an idea, and you had to work with that idea and then come up with a better idea and do more. Um, and it had to be in on time and. You know, there was no excuse good enough to say oh, it just wasn't working. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in some ways that stuck with me because if it's not working for me, if I'm not if I'm not seeing the picture, I just enjoy the experience of going for a walk. And, and sometimes if I've gone out and I think, you know what, well, I would like to make photographs, but I don't know what I'm going to photograph. I just give myself little challenges. So I go, okay, for the next half an hour... I'm going to photograph textures.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just going to play with the, the concept of texture, um, or you know, I'll I'll just sit and write. Um, you know, so I write down what I hear, what I see, um, you know, what smells or tastes on the air. Um, you know, just little bullet points, not you know, not, and that starts you thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and often I will sit with my eyes closed, which sounds really odd. But if you sit with your eyes closed, you tune in to all of your other senses, which allows you to be much more present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you can pick up on on sounds, you can pick up on the the feel of um uh, light and warmth or wind on your skin. And and all of this sort of creates a wonderful experience mm-hmm. and calms you down, slows you down. And in the slowing down, that's when you start to, to see little things. You think, oh, I love the way the light's catching that leaf. I just go over there and photograph that. And then you photograph that and then all of a sudden you find that two hours have gone by mm. and you've just photographed the light moving across the leaf onto another leaf.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, it might not be an image that you had in your mind when you went out, but it's been a gift Mm-hmm. Because you, um, I had patience. Um, you know the, the sort of a paraphrase of uh, a Minor White quote is, you know, if if you spend enough time with your subject, it'll reveal itself to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So even though um, there might not appear to be anything, if you just sit, if you spend time there, something will appear. And these mm-hmm. days we are in such a rush to to get the winning image, to get the photo that creates a thousand likes on our Instagram yeah. feed or, you know, generates a massive income or wins us the landscape photographer of the year or the Scottish landscape photographer of the year or whatever, <laughs> yeah. that often we're we're too busy trying to get that to enjoy the experience of photographing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I have a lot of chats with photographers who have lost their mojo because of the pressure they put on themselves to take great images. But actually, if they step back from wanting to take a great image, they would probably find that a great image took them Mm -hmm. and they'd be sucked into something that was was really special. It might not win them a prize. It might not get them a thousand likes. But the experience would stay with them forever.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's what you're after. It's those moments where the experience is is greater than the photograph, and it should always be the experience.
1: So it seems to me you're, you've taken this pressure off yourself to shoot certain ways that are going to be approved of, have likes and so on, but in doing that, it, it seems as though you've found... Your own audience, anyway. I'm, I'm struggling to find the word, but by by not going for a mainstream thing, you, maybe you found your niche. I suppose is what I'm saying. You're definitely striking a chord. I mean, what you're doing photographically, but the the captions that you're putting in as well, I think are, are speaking to a lot of people. I think they're, they're really important for a lot of people. And this idea of of just kind of kind of slowing down that we've well we've had it kind of thrown at us anyway, but we all need anyway. Um. Has that surprised you that um, it's you've, what you're doing has resonated so much?
0: It has surprised me because I, I'm always amazed by people who you know chat to me and say, "Oh, what you do really resonates." Um, that's you know, it's the kind of, you know I really needed to to sort of connect with what you said today, and I you know I'll you know, I do talks at camera clubs and. Um, and the number of people who say I've been wanting permission to do that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know to photograph like that Um, and I think you might have just I'm I'm always surprised it's actually really humbling when people connect with your work because you know I genuinely uh, you know this isn't me sort of seeking for you know kind of compliments or anything like that from anybody but I genuinely look at my work and I, I, I think, okay, that sums up that moment. But actually, you know, it doesn't make me a successful photographer. It doesn't make me a, you know, a, a photography great or, or whatever. Um, I'm just, a, just an ordinary bloke who loves photographing the world around him in a way that it connects with me. Um, and yes, I've had some ups and downs and I've had a good... You know, in terms of a career, I've had a really good career. I've been very lucky. Um, you know, there aren't many photographers who get the opportunity to, to work at the level I did. Um, but the way I work now, the connection it has with real people means far more to me than anything I achieved in my news career. Um, you know, I know my in the posts that I put on Instagram or the little. Um, Friday morning Instagram live sessions that I do. Mm-hmm. If I get one message from somebody saying, do you know, I really needed to hear that today or that last photograph that you, you, you photograph you did, uh, the words that you put with it really connected with me. That's, that's more than enough. Um, yeah. you know, cause to be able to touch one person in a way that, um, makes them feel something is such a privilege such an honor um, so yeah I mean I I'm staggered and blessed that people connect with what I do um, and it's, it's it's wonderful it doesn't um, it, it it sort of it doesn't sit easily you um, Because I I want to say, oh I'm sure you're just being really nice or really kind or um you know but I genuinely appreciate the the time that people take looking at the photographs that I, I put out. So yeah, I think people people are drawn by the simplicity maybe.
1: That kind of brings us to the gear round, which this season is sponsored by MPB. So um, you were saying you're shooting with Fuji, Paul. So what's your sort of camera and lens combination? What's the sort of go-to for you?
0: So I've got a a, a Fujifilm GFX 100S, the the new one. Um, And it's nice that you're sponsored by MPB, actually, because I I sold my 50S through MPB to buy my 100S. (laughs) S. So, <laughs> um, and I can say from uh, from personal experience that the, the experience of using MPB is fantastic. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, very, uh, a very happy MPB customer. But I, um, yeah, so I use the 100S um, and then I have uh, four primes in my bag. I've got um, a 23mm, which is about an 18, I think, in, in DSLR money. Uh, I've got a 30 a forty-five and a one ten, which is a about an eighty-five, and, and that's it. Um, okay. I, I use primes because I like to move my feet. They make mm-hmm. me think. They uh, they challenge me. Um, sorry. Very loud motorbike then passed. <laughs> um, I use um, I used to use zooms, but I found that I got very lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so. My my usual starting point is the one ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I tend to see things in that focal length very naturally, um, right. and then I use a combination of Lee filters um, on the um, on the camera to create the look and feel in camera that I want. I'm I'm not a sort of Photoshop uh, person. I use Lightroom to process my images. Um, but I try and get as much in the camera as I can, yeah. and then fine tune with Lightroom rather than overdoing it. And to be honest, I hate sitting behind the computer. Yeah. But yeah, that's the the kit is literally the GFX 100s, those four lenses and my lead filters and a, a tripod.
1: So and the the GFX is the medium format uh, Fuji, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I was yes. talking to Magnus. I don't know if you spoke to Magnus on. Uh, the talkcast cast maybe a while ago Magnus Limbaugh, um who's using a GFX as well and he was yeah. saying really good things about it so what's what for you is the advantage of using that larger format
0: the, I mean I did start on the the smaller uh, crop sensor the cameras that they do like the um, X-T1 and the X-T2 but when they mm-hmm. launched the, the 50s which has got a 50 megapixel sensor it reminded me so much of when I used to shoot on uh, a mania Seven, mm-hmm. um, and I loved the feel of that camera. And there was a lot of uh, similarity in the feel of the camera body. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of long to shoot film, but to be honest, I'm too lazy um, to do it. And I've, I mean, I've been shooting digital since. 1996 was the very first time I started shooting digital right. Um so I've gone all the way through and film for me was all you know as a news photographer if if I shot film it meant I was going to be three hours after a football match
2: mm-hmm.
0: um you know whereas digital for me meant I could leave at 90 minutes and, and be and be on my way home yeah. uh, so I I like the immediacy of digital and I love the quality of the the files that the the GFX fifty um, produced, it has a lovely filmic feel. There's a, um, a sort of a warmth in the files, which is weird considering they're they're electronic. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I shoot square, I'm all and I, I shoot square in the viewfinder, so I'm losing, you know, a third of the file. So mm-hmm. I wanted a bigger sensor. So that I could produce the quality of prints that I wanted, yeah. uh, the size I wanted, without having to, you know, lose too much of the file. So when they said they were bringing out this 100 megapixel uh, camera that was smaller and lighter than the GFX 50s, which I used, I thought, that's that's going to be it. Mm-hmm. And it is the, for me, it's the perfect camera. Um, mm-hmm. It's small. I mean, there's a medium format camera. It's small. It's light. It's fast. Um, not that I'm fast. Um, you know, I'm very slow. But the the detail in the files that it produces is incredible. The the resolution to to produce the tiniest detail, um, you know, I just love it. Um, mm-hmm. but again it has this wonderful warmth and sort of organic feel to the files. Yeah. Um and I've looked at you know, I mean I know the guys at uh, Fuji won't thank me for saying this, but I've looked at other cameras, and the the, the camera itself is irrelevant to me. Um, it's the the nature of the file that it produces, mm-hmm. and, and the the file that the uh, Fuji produces is absolutely beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic that you can shoot that square because. That would I would love to shoot square because you know, I was in, when I was in college we would use the Mamiya cameras and yeah. um, I don't you know if you can see pictures uh, behind me but these square pictures um, behind me I would have shot on a Mamiya C three thirty and I just it's, so, it's something about the square shooting as a square is a different experience altogether.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I love I love the square format. Um, I mean, my very first medium format camera was a Bronica SQA,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, that my, um, uh, my grandma bought me when I told her what I was doing. And, um, and I, I absolutely love the square format. Um, and I, I you know, I can shoot in the landscape or portrait orientation with a four by three or five by four or six by seven, but, I actually find square just more pleasing. It, it just, uh, the way I see suits the square format, suits the one to one aspect ratio. Um, and I literally see everything as in that thing. When people say, you know, what do you see? I'm like, well, I see one to one. I see buff and white. And, and that's as much as I, I worry mm-hmm. about because, you know, there's so much fuss made about kit. Mm-hmm. You know, photographers are always, oh, what's best? You know, Fuji, Sony, Nikon, Canon. They're they're all. It's always who's got the biggest lens, who's got the fastest lens. You know, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: none of it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if people left the gear ego at home, they would actually make much more pleasing photographs.
1: So, do you have anything in your bag that you you bought but you're just not using it? No. Ah. well if you did you would uh it would be good of you to trade it to mpb but you've already said that you've done that so
0: yeah i've actually got rid of everything to mpb
1: (laughs) (laughs) so well that's a brilliant endorsement anyway so mpb uh buys sells and trades thousands of uh photography items each week everything comes with a six month warranty and i will put a link in the show notes to everything that we've spoken about here um, and a link to a quote for selling your unused kit to MPB. And um, I thank the good people at MPB for sponsoring the gear round. <laughs> so wholehearted endorsement all around. On, on the subject of shooting, your style really reminds me of Michael Kenna. And I yeah. was going to ask you about that. And then I saw your picture right next to him on the Ocean Captures uh, website. Yeah. So is that an influence of yours at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the work that Michael shoots, yes, I'm definitely influenced by, by his work. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I, over my career, I've, I've drawn on lots of different influences. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about Michael's work in particular is the, the authenticity of it. Um, I like the realness The, the I, I know from conversations that I, I've had with people that know, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him mm-hmm. um, as much as I would <laughs> I'd mm-hmm. love to. Um, but I, I know he photographs just what's there and he works with what's there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the same approach that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the, the cleanliness of his images, the simplicity, the elegance um and i I like the absence of people Mm -hmm. in a lot of his pictures um you know because i'm not a big people person myself so i don't photograph that many i don't have many people in my pictures i like the, the the presence of human hand in there somewhere but i don't necessarily want a person to to be there and going back to the very beginning you know when you're on a website with people that you really you know I mean there, there are several photographers on that website on um, the Ocean Capture website that I really admire mm-hmm. and I look at that website and I I feel like the odd one out and there's the imposter syndrome back again yeah. you yeah. know even now you know I'm 53 years old I shouldn't have imposter syndrome but I have mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know and uh, you know Jonathan uh, bless him you know, he's constantly reassuring me that I'm good enough to be there, to be mm-hmm. sitting on his website next to, you know, Michael Levin, Michael Kenner, Han Strand, and Ragnar Axelsson, and Rachel yeah. Telavat and himself. So. And no, I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, there's a real buzz. You know, it's really, it's a really nice feeling to, mm-hmm. to be there. Uh, if ever I meet him, I'll be starstruck. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I spoke to a couple of people recently. I I was just so nervous. I spoke to Howard Schatz. He's like a studio photographer from the States. Yeah. The fact that he got back to my email, I was like, oh, my God, i was so freaking out. Um, and when I when we spoke, I was so nervous. Oh, my God. I just thought I was like, don't say anything because you're going to just sound like an <laughs> idiot. So anyway, so I know exactly what you mean. But um, I would I get the old imposter sy- syndrome, not not so much now, but I, I used to for sure. And um, I totally relate to what you're saying about. Well, the way I, I, I term it to myself is I have to just shoot my own picture. When I'm trying, when I have other people's images in my mind, it it's not good for me. And uh, one time I was shooting uh, interior of a flat, a small flat in Aberdeen, and I, I just had a minor meltdown. It wasn't like anything major, but... I had this images in mind of how I should shoot this bedroom with the bed. It was like a service service department and the towels were all folded up on the end of the bed. Do you know how you see in those pictures? And I think the angle that I would naturally would shoot it at wasn't the angle that I thought it should be at for that kind of photograph. And I was really freaked out. So I was standing there in this flat alone going. Take your own picture. Take your own picture. Take your own picture to myself to snap myself out of it. So that kind of got me out, snapped me out of that. But with the imposter syndrome, I, I definitely got that for a long time. But I, I don't know if if you if you if you do this or if you can. But I just I can look back at my portfolio and go, okay, I I, I clearly can do this. You can like it or dislike it, but I, I you yeah. couldn't say that I can't do it. Um, so I don't know if that's anything you can fall back on, but I definitely relate to what you're saying there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I look back at you know, it's like just doing this talk tonight with you. Um, you know, we we started when I was 14. I was taking out of focus pictures of fences and flowers, mm. and in some ways, I've not moved on at all because <laughs> I still take pictures of of focus flowers and fences and things. Um but actually I look back and I think, Blimey, i I can do this because I've I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I've worked in, you know, sort of glamour and fashion, I've done sports photography, I've done news photography, I've pictured edited a national newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um I've changed career and you know, I've got traction as a sort of a, a, a landscapey photographer right? i run workshops and people come to me for advice so i know i can do it and there's like this it's almost like there's two of me there's there's paul the kind of oh you're not good enough and then there's paul actually you're all right you can do this you can mm-hmm. talk to people it's only when i'm alone with my thoughts that it really kicks in you know as soon as somebody says can you help i'm like yes of course I can Mm-hmm. And then the the Paul with all the experience and the the knowledge comes in and and starts talking and supporting and helping, um, and the other Paul just I don't know what he does during that time because he's he's mm-hmm. never there. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, when that conversation is finished, that other Paul will come and go. Do you think they understood what you were talking about? Oh, okay. Oh my God. Maybe they didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, they've gone away happy, and instantly I'm doubting myself. Even though they've gone away happy, and yeah. I've got you know, I've got cards and letters from people that I've worked with saying thank you so much. It's been, you know, what you did was wonderful and inspirational. And you think God, oh, it's so kind mm-hmm. when people write, uh, and I keep them by my, I keep them by the desk. So when I have days where I really doubt what I do, yeah. I just. Pick, pick one up and, and
2: read it and it means
1: the
0: world to me and yeah. um, you know and I just I keep them and I just go wow okay mm. I I am enough I am good enough
1: let me ask you about one particular picture if you don't mind and then we'll, we'll get towards sure. the end there's a shot here that I found on your feed from Rydal Water and uh, there's a yeah. tree in the middle of it it's like a lake and it looks a bit misty and um I I that I really enjoyed that picture. There's a couple of other ones that I could have chosen as well, but um, do, you, do you remember that picture? And what can you tell us about that shot?
0: Oh yeah, very clearly. It was um, I was actually doing um, uh, a workshop, um, and it was a beautiful morning. Uh, there was a there was a lovely calm mist, and the hotel we stayed at was actually not far from. Ride a water. We went out uh, for dawn, and the um, the mist was hanging over the water. And I I kind of walked out to the the lake with the group, and some people stayed by the road, and some people came down to the lake, and and they they were sort of saying, you know, where would you where would you photograph this from? And you know, I sort of looked around, and I said, well, I'd probably go from sort of. Over there, and I, I kind of went round and, and I stood by the edge of it, and that, that tree is, is often photographed. I mean, it's, you know, a lone tree in the middle of a lake. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna attract photographers. <laughs> 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 I'm surprised there's not a, a sign outside saying lone tree. Yeah. Um, and, and I started to sort of talk through setting it up. Um and I just noticed how the, the mist was, was coming, going, and I think from the point I set the camera up to the point of taking was probably about an hour and a half, right. um, because I was helping other people get the mm-hmm. pictures that they want, and I always, I always put my own picture last. So if I'm yeah. with a, uh, you know, a group of clients, it's, you know, it's always, you know, if I want to take a picture, it's always right at the very end when normally everything is gone. Yeah. And people were packing up because they'd sort of got... And I said, well, I'm just going to do my frame. And I just sort of stood there looking at it and I thought, God, that tree looks like a dancer. Mm. It just looks so elegant. And I just dropped the tripod down a little bit to get the... trying to equalise the reflection a bit. Mm. Um, And the mist just thickened up. And I think I took two frames. Um, And it was such a peaceful morning. And when I when i stopped um to to photograph i was aware of nothing else Mm -hmm. apart from the stillness of the morning um and it was it was like it was like complete magic and then somebody asked me something and the spell was completely broken Mm -hmm. and it was one of those i like to I like to call them perfect moments. There's no such thing as perfection in my book, but it was one of those perfect moments of utter stillness. Mm-hmm. And then, in the middle of the lake, there was a tree dancing, and mm. and I, I just thought, you know, wow, what a what an amazing way to head off to a bacon butty.
2: Yeah,
0: um, and it was it's quite for me. It was quite a special morning because. Um, uh, my father comes with me on quite a lot of workshops he loves you know now he takes lots of photographs um and uh, you know once I'd converted him from canon to fujifilm he was allowed to come <laughs> uh, and he was with me um, on that morning um you know and it's it's one of those workshops where I had a lot of time chatting to him yeah. both as my dad and as a client as well which was quite nice it was a really lovely bond so it's a very special picture for me because of uh, of the connection you know with my dad as well so yeah that was a beautiful beautiful morning
1: yeah that just makes it extra special those i find i don't know i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth but I, you know like I, I get i'm assuming you're shooting some long exposures here i know we haven't gotten into camera craft and stuff but i think that process it just is meditative it it, naturally yeah. you have to slow down you have to look at yeah. it and then you have to wait the 30 yeah. seconds or the two minutes or whatever and um i've I found that um for myself that that process is just so such a good way to reconnect to forget about other yeah. things um maybe can you put that in your own words how that process is for you or that experience is for you
0: yeah i mean for me i I use photography to, to find a space of calm. Um, and, I, I use, uh, long exposure for me is a lovely way of expressing that. Um, I know there's a big, you know, you go someplace and people oh, long exposure. It's just milky water, but actually it's an expression of calm. It's a, it's an expression of, of a pause in time for you um and i i enjoy standing behind or by the camera not looking through the camera not looking at the camera you know just allowing it to take its way through the exposure time because you know while it's doing that you the only thing you can do is spend time appreciating what's around you Mm -hmm. um and i i i love that um that connection. So, I mean, when I I photograph, my my kind of workflow with photography is always the same. Um, But I never take my eyes off the subject.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. so, So when I'm setting my kit up and I'm putting my tripod up, I'm always looking, you know, I might occasionally glance down to, you know, make sure I've got the right thing. But, you know, I even have my bag laid out in a way that I know when I put it down, that my lenses are laid out in a certain order, so I know which lens I'm grabbing. I know which filters I'm grabbing because they're laid out in lightest to darkest and, you know, the mediums, hards and so You know, so I know what I'm touching, so I mm-hmm. don't have to think about the kit. So I can concentrate purely on the moment, setting it all up, and then just stepping back from the camera and enjoying the experience mm. during the exposure. And... Um, And that for me is the, is the wonderful meditation that is photography. Mm -hmm. It's that time spent in an environment where you're not asked any questions. You're not asking any questions. You're just being yourself and the landscape or your subject is just being itself. Uh, and there's a, there's like a meeting of souls that just makes it absolutely divine it's so it's a uh, it's it's so sort of spiritual i mean i'm a you know christian I, I go to church and it's the closest i get to my faith is the moment after i've pressed the button and i can step away from the camera and just be mm-hmm. with the moment and just enjoy the experience and lose myself in it completely that makes
1: sense yeah it totally does i totally relate to that thanks for your uh for being so open and with us and it's so even from what you've been saying so much for me to talk about to think about rather really appreciate what you're doing it's important to so many people and i know if one person is writing a comment that it meant something to them it probably was a hundred people who didn't write that as well so um, i'm sure you're you're getting through to people well thank
0: you very much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure really nice to talk to you so thank you
1: Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful that you spent this time with us today and thanks again to Paul for being so open in that chat. Follow Paul on Instagram and visit discoverstill.com to find out more about his photography, workshops and retreats. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes and if you like this episode you might enjoy my conversations with Valda Bailey from season one and Magnus Lindbom from season two. Stay safe, enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.